Pete Callender Show. Pete Callender here. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. We've uh, got a change of plans. The Speaker of the House not going to join us today, apparently. Business that he has to do for the state is more important than talking to me, but it's okay. No, it's fine. It's fine. Um, we will circle back again. I'm doing a lot of circling back. I'm getting kind of dizzy. Guys, breaking news. Juicy Smollett. He's on trial, you know, for the uh, hate crime uh, deal. And uh, he testified that he did drugs and uh, then engaged in a sex act with one of his attackers, which makes me think, guys, this might not have actually been a hate crime. I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. Just be ready. Jesse Smollett might not have been the victim of a hate crime here. Also, this just in, Smollett interrupted the special prosecutor, Dan Webb, as Webb was reading aloud one of Smollett's messages that had the N-word in it. And Smollett interrupts him in the middle of the trial and says, can you please spell out or just say the N-word out of respect for every African-American in this room? You've been saying that word a lot. This guy still acts like he's the victim here. This is unbelievable. Um, Webb says, uh, the special prosecutor says, no, I don't intend to do that. Uh, but you can read your messages aloud. And then Smollett does. Who is his attorney? Who lets him do this? So now you got him reading his own messages. <laughs> Which I guess he's allowed to say the N-word. Is that the idea? This is so, We live in such stupid times. Oh, my God. All right. So, <clears throat> Councilman. All right. So, Councilman. Malcolm Graham, let me reset the table here. Last night, the Charlotte City Council has one of their strategy meetings. They did the revisit of the revisit um, of the ARPA money uh, that the mayor then branded as uh, part of her equity initiative. Lots of fanfare and uh, media coverage. The uh, outline of the story is as such. Council members felt like there was this pressure to take a vote back in October at a retreat. It Then, a couple days later, the money that they approved got branded as the mayor's equity initiative, unbeknownst to them. They did not know this. They were not told that this was part of her initiative, that it was going to be branded as such when they voted on it, when they told they had to vote on it immediately. Council complains about this. The city attorney then says, well, yeah, I mean, it did kind of violate the city council's rules for how this stuff is supposed to occur. So then it comes back onto the agenda and the mayor is like, this is fine. Let's just, we'll just get, we're getting a staff update. It's everything's, it's all cool. It's all copacetic. No problem, everybody. And then Malcolm Graham, Councilman Malcolm Graham, uh, you can hear, um, well, the point here, let me say it this way. The point is that the mayor used the ARPA money as this branding effort for her equity initiative. But nobody can say that that's what occurred here. Nobody wants to say that. Right. But you can kind of hear a little bit of it in the remarks made by Councilman Malcolm Graham. I agree with the mayor pro tem. I think that um, we've given the, 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 the manager the leeway to provide a framework in terms of how those dollars are are going to be spent. I'm very comfortable uh, with the presentation and how uh, we should proceed moving forward. Um, obviously, you know, I think the council should op- operate at 30,000 feet and 
uh, and allow the manager to bring back the details for, for us. But I, I think we're, uh, we, we said on one hand that we want the money to go out the door quickly. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, we're saying bring stuff back. And yes. I'm saying that I think we're both, everyone's saying the same thing. We're, no, no, we're not. He's all over the map on this. He's, he's again, this is, this is clean up on aisle Democrat. That's what's happening here. Okay. They're trying to figure out a way to smooth this all over with everybody saving face. You don't want to embarrass the mayor on all of this. You got businesses that have coughed up a lot of money, millions and millions of dollars. My bank being one of them, apparently going to fork over a whole bunch of money. Part of the mayor's equity initiative, right? And some of the money, the buckets, came from taxpayer dollars, ARP, well, really China, but ARPA funds, American Rescue Plan Act funds. And so that's what this is about. So Councilman Ed Driggs then responds to Malcolm Graham's framing of the issue. We've got one level of decision that says we're going to spend $17 million towards a goal. And then we've got specific disbursements or right. contracts or other. Uh, I'm a little concerned about the notion that when you come back and say, pursuant to your decision to commit $17 million, I would like to enter into an agreement with so-and-so and pay a million and a half, uh, is everybody okay with that? I think that does call for a vote. And I, I think to Mr. Bakari's point, we, we do have a decision about, we need, we need clarity around when council has actually agreed that money goes out the door. And uh, I don't think that saying we intend to commit $17 million to a purpose constitutes that decision. Mm -hmm. I believe that it constitutes an intent on our part subject to uh, a, a proper sort of referral to us of individual uh, actions or expenditures that you offer. And, and so, again, tonight with these, given the urgency and so on, uh, I, I, I wouldn't insist on it, but I do think that we shouldn't be too casual as we go through the remainder of the $60 million about, well, you know, okay, here's five. Everybody okay with that? Uh, you know, it should be brought to us as a proposal, uh, and, and we should vote on it. And that's the piece that uh, I think we came away from the retreat not expecting and that, that we thought we should be able to expect. All right, let me tell you another term here that nobody wants to speak. Slush fund. I'm not saying that they created a slush fund. I'm just saying if you wanted to create a slush fund, this would be a really good way to do it. If you're, you, I mean, because what we're hearing from some of these council members is that, yeah, you didn't really need to come back to us. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry. We, we kind of knew what bucket when you said digital inclusion, I mean, I know there's no plan specifically on how any of those millions of dollars were going to be used, but we, you know, we assumed you were going to, you know, allocate it for the right reasons and to the right organizations and stuff. Just let us know, whatever. No, that's not how that's supposed to work. Right. You have a big bucket of the money and you say we want to use it for this targeted initiative, this idea. OK, well, what does the idea mean? How do you implement that? What organizations, what departments, what agencies, grants? Right. How does the money get used? Otherwise, if you just say, all right, well, here's the big bucket of money. Throw it out to whomever you'd like. We don't really care to follow the money like you would almost think. That there wasn't just a mayor that went to prison for corruption in this town. Like, you would almost think that there's not a recent history of some, you know, 
malfeasance, financial malfeasance that maybe we should be a little bit more sensitive to. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, just three more sound bites here from the council meeting last night. Councilman Braxton Winston, Democrat, said Republican Councilman Tark Bakari is right, is right that he is correct to go from this yellow to green, whatever the color coding system that they're doing. Like, if you want to allocate a whole bunch of money from the federal government via the American Rescue Plan Act, the ARPA money, if you want to use this COVID money, you got to come back to council and tell us what you're using it for. Not just a big heading, not just a bucket name. You got to give us some specifics. So we'll green light. You want to put, okay, you're getting $60 million. You want to put, you know, $10 million into broadband expansion, $10 million into affordable housing, $10 million, whatever. Like you want to break up the, the big chunks into these different areas. Fine. We'll give you the nod for that. Now come back and tell us where it's going. You got to have the city council endorse it, he said. In order to get from green to orange, from ready for council discussion to council endorsed, you do have to have a step where council actually endorses uh, what what the staff brings back to us. Um, I I think to Mr. Uh, Driggs's point, I think that's it's fairly simple. Uh, we can ask for unanimous consent, right? Because I think that's also what Mr. Baker is advising. Mm-hmm. Since there wasn't uh, that request for unanimous consent to put on a voting I- a voting item for us to vote on this, it wasn't necessarily um, correct a, a correct vote under our rules and procedures. It was out of order. Correct. He is uh, the councilman Braxton Winston is correct, and so. Hey, look, he's all about solutions, apparently. He's like, we can go ahead and do a unanimous consent and do this right now, and we'll fix it. He then suggested council express that unanimous consent, which is what occurred. Then the mayor restated and reframed this discussion again, as she constantly does. She puts her spin on stuff. Like, he just outlined what the issue is. But no, 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 she has to restate it. She has to put her own uh, her her own glaze over this statement. It's not necessary. It's just not necessary. I don't know if this is just a it's like a nervous tick, if it's a habit, or if it's a politically motivated tactic. I don't know. I'll give her the benefit of the doubt and say it's it it's part it's a political tactic, right? I mean, that's the benefit of the doubt, I think, and that she's doing this for a reason. And she tries to make it seem different or nicer. She tries to give it a gauzy filter. Listen. I think that where we are is, um, is there anyone, and, and this could have happened at any point along on any vote. Yes, yeah, Unless um, if someone says, I would like to see it done differently or I don't want to do this one, anyone has, any council member has the right to do that. Um, so I would say to you that is the question really is, is there anyone, object, anyone that objects to moving forward with the three items that are, have been discussed as well as the funding for the RFP. So that's the question that I think is before us now. So is there any objection? All right, so you hear the way she does that, right? She, oh, this could have happened at any point along the way, any vote. We just, well, now we know, and knowing is half the battle, right? Like that's that's the tap dance that you're hearing. Why? 
Because she knows, and they all know, exactly what transpired. She took all of the money and branded it. Well, she didn't take it. I, I should be careful, because given the history here of mayors and bribery, well, one mayor, um, <laughs> maybe I, I should be clear here, I, that, that she didn't take the money. She just simply got the council to allocate the funding for these things and then said, oh, that's part of my initiative. It was a branding. It was a rebranding effort. It's a marketing deal. Bakari, Councilman Tark Bakari, then responds. Learning from our mistakes of the past, I, I want us to do this correctly. And I believe it's not, does anyone randomly have a concern? It's that, is there a motion that right. we take action that wasn't on our agenda? Right. And it's unanimous, of which I feel like it's going to be, including my vote on these items, and then we do it. But why that's important is that... The manager said to us in our last meeting that the tr traditional practice of these federal dollars has not been to bring back RCAs on our normal agenda for approval. That's a request for council action or council approval. So I'll make I'll ask for unanimous consent. Second. To, to, to endorse uh, the, the green items to, to orange. I, I second that and I'll just continue with the with with the point of this is the way this council needs to do this where it's not. A random show of hands is everyone cool. We we follow our bylaws and our and our rules. We approve it coming out of the door unanimously because these things haven't traditionally millions and do, millions of dollars haven't traditionally been coming back to us. And if we don't start doing it right now, and this this slide, Mr. Manager, is a great start, and it will be a perfect start if we make sure that when something turns green to orange that we take the appropriate action. Hopefully, with enough notice that the community can weigh in. But in cases like this where we need to act swiftly, then that. Right. So there you go. So that's where that's how it uh, concluded this this fight over the mayor's initiative money and how she ended up getting it. That's how it concluded last night with full council support for the uh, for the projects, for the targeting of the money. But nobody mentioning it was really the branding effort that raised the council members hackles. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here, and joining me is Tommy Hicks. He is the uh, RNC co-chair. Welcome to the program. Tommy, how are you? I'm great, Pete. How are you doing? I am doing well. So uh, when did this really uh, kick off for you, the election season? Like, when do you market? Do you, like, uh, have a day on the calendar when it officially begins for you guys? Or is it just kind of like this is, like, all-year-long constant state of affairs? It's, it's all-year-long constant state of affairs. You know, right now, we're, we're doing everything we can as the RNC to grow the party. We're registering voters. Um, we're opening community centers across the country and, and focusing on black, Hispanic, and Asian Pacific American communities. Uh, we're focused on election integrity. We want to make sure that the American people are confident their vote counts. And that's uh, voter ID. That's um, custody of ballots that's uh, purging voter rolls of people who've, who've moved or died. And so it's a nonstop uh, fight to make sure that we put Republican candidates in the best position to win in November, because we have to win. Well, and Democrats seem very uh, interested in helping you win. <laughs> that's the only thing Joe I can... <laughs> Biden and Nancy Pelosi are the most radical Democrats we've ever seen. This is the most radical administration, and they're also incompetent. I mean, just look... Don't not just inflation, 
gas prices, open borders. But, but the foreign policy is unbelievable as well. It was tragic what happened in Afghanistan. Tragic. We lost 13 of our best. We have hundreds still behind enemy lines. Uh, but it was a humiliation for us, and it made us look weak in front of Russia and China and everybody else in the world. And frankly, it's dangerous. Joe Biden needs to resign. But all right. So, OK, so I got to ask you, say Joe Biden needs to resign. You you, you don't have any expectation like that's going to happen. He's not going to do that. And Democrats are not going to uh, uh, they're not going to join you in that cry either. Right. I mean, so that's I mean, I know Democrats said that about Trump and they impeached him twice. So then maybe like, why not try to run on something like that? Is that part of the uh, the promises the Republicans may be offering here? Is that, hey, put us in charge and we'll try to impeach this guy? Well, the reality is he probably will not resign. Um, so we need to win back the House. We need to take back the Senate. Um, we need to make a statement here that the American people do not stand for this radical agenda of the modern-day Democrat Party. Yeah, I started the show talking about this because our candidate filing opened in North Carolina yesterday. And, well, well, it did finally open. It was it was set to open, and then a three-judge court of appeals, state court of appeals panel said no because of the legislative maps uh, that were drawn, and they said gerrymandering, and so then they put a, a freeze on the filing, and then uh, the full court of appeals came back a couple hours later and said, okay, you can file. So uh, this is classic North Carolina politics where it's just – it's a – it's kind of a poop show <laughs> just all the time with the legislative maps. Now, um, we, I'm sure you're aware, North Carolina, we, we get sued pretty regularly with uh, for our maps. Are you aware of any litigation that uh, uh, that is targeting Democrat gerrymanders in other states? I know um, what the former attorney general, uh, Eric Holder, he's very, very concerned about this uh, this issue. Are you aware of any lawsuits he's filing or Mark Elias is running in other states that I, maybe I've missed? Well, I know in my home state of Texas, uh, the DOJ is, is, is suing uh, the state of Texas over over what what how they you know propose the maps. But you know, there, nobody's nobody's complaining about Illinois or New York, and they're trying to eliminate. You know, as many as five seats in New York. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a hypocrisy. Yeah. So are, is the RNC doing any litigation on any uh, maps? Is that part of a strategy? Oh, yeah. We, we're fighting back, and we actually have a uh, redistricting trust that we have right now that's helping fund some of these legal fees. We're working in conjunction with states to do so and provide backup resources. So we're absolutely on offense, too. How So you mentioned earlier the outreach that the party is doing, and I know this has come up uh, in a lot of the postmortems after presidential races. I think I remember Michael Steele talking about this, like, I don't know, 12 years ago or something. So how exactly does the Republican Party make those inroads? How do they attract a more diverse population how do they speak that language that obviously has been missing for a very long time? Well, it's already started. Glenn Youngkin won 55% of the Hispanic vote in Virginia. But our message, we as Republicans are better ambassadors for the values of all Americans than, than the Democrat Party is. And that whether you're Hispanic, Black, Asian Pacific American, whatever it is, we are better ambassadors for the values of the vast majority of Americans. We just need to communicate it better. And we were doing that through community centers. We're recruiting better candidates, candidates who look like the American people and can speak to their communities. You know, we picked up 15 uh, U.S. House seats in the 2020 election. They were all 
minorities, women, or veterans. Hmm. Well, yeah, and, and uh, I think uh, there was a warning flare that went out. Did you see this story about the polling on the word Latinx or Latinx? <laughs> did you see? <laughs> I'm sure you did. What an insult. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, like, uh, we're going to come up with this word and then make you use it, and oh, and by the way, they hate it. So, <laughs> like, I, I'm just, like, sometimes I do wonder who, like, how you rise, how one would rise through the ranks in the Democratic Party to these levels that you get to make these decisions that are just so, just obviously bad. <laughs> I am curious. Well, it's just in their DNA, frankly. They, they believe in a top-down approach. Republicans believe in the individual. And that's, that's if, if you could ask me to sum it up in, in a few words, that's it. Yeah, which makes it kind of difficult sometimes, though, to create um, a unified... Uh, party, I would think, because if everybody views themselves and thinks in terms as an individual, it, it's kind of like herding cats to some degree. Uh, there is a benefit on the other side. Well, don't forget the media is um, incentivized yeah. as the propaganda arm of the Democrat Party to make it appear like we're divided when, frankly, we're not. Every time Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi open their mouths, we become more and more unified, and we're all focused on 2022. Yeah. Uh, hey, I appreciate the time. Uh, Tommy Hicks, the co-chair of the RNC, uh, you're welcome back anytime. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Thanks. Have right. a great week. That's R.E.M. Always reminds me of 21 Jump Street. Not the movie. The TV series. It's one episode where Johnny Depp went undercover at some, I don't know, like uh, alternative outdoor camp kind of deal you know for the bad boys Richard Grieco may have been in it as well I don't recall this just in US federal judge sides with Attorney General Wilson and blocks Biden's vaccine requirement for federal contractors interesting so let's see here Phil Kirpin with the rundown of Joe Biden's five mandates here they are the OSHA mandate, that got stayed. The CMS, that's the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid uh, Services, uh, enjoined nationally. The contractor Medicaid, or the contractor mandate enjoined nationally. The federal employee that, uh, mandate, that got punted till next year. And the military, that one is still moving forward where the unvaccinated get flagged and blocked from promotions and reenlistments. But that's it. So four of the five... Um, are delayed three by courts. <laughs> so, doing a heck of a job, Biden. Um, do, 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 I'm just checking to see. Um, oh, there's another picture. Oh, Homer is out at uh, Bank of America Stadium. The Knights, Charlotte Knights mascot. Well, yes, John Hancock is out there as well. Um, but, I mean, honestly, Homer is there. So, go to see Homer. Uh, bring a bike down to Bank of America Stadium. We appreciate it. It's part of Hancock's Bikes for Kids. He's been doing it for 28 years. Just because he's not on the air anymore doesn't mean you can't still, you know, give him some bicycles. Uh, they then go to local kids uh, that, uh, you know, it's going to be their first new bike. And I said this earlier, bikes are available. I I saw them at uh, Target in Midtown last uh, yesterday afternoon. And there were like 20, 25 of them there. Well, one fewer because I got one. Uh, and I'll be dropping it off. It's not for me. Um, I still, th- I heard Bo this morning talking about the, 
like your first bicycle story, like you remember your first bike. And I do remember my first bicycle, but I don't remember my first new bicycle. And I don't know why. I know I got a new bicycle at some point. It happened. And I assume I got it at Sally's, which was the, that was the bike shop in our town. But the first bike I had was a hand-me-down. It was the, the red Schwinn that was, you know, 4,000 pounds. And so there's a true story. This is a true story. I will tell you. So I got that from my brother. He got a 10-speed bike. And at the time, the 10 speeds, he had saved up his money. He went out and bought a 10-speed bicycle. And this was like, what is this wizardry? Like, like the idea that you would have speeds on a bicycle. Like we were all thinking it was like a stick shift, which the millennials don't have any idea what that is. But, um, well, I shouldn't say millennials, but probably not. Gen Z's and the, what are the, what are the other ones now called? The centennials, I think is what they're calling them. Whatever. Kids today. They don't even know what a stick shift is, a manual transmission. So, uh, these, the, the, the gears, like this was all new and maybe it wasn't new per se, but it was new to us. We had never heard of such a thing before. And so I got my brother's Schwinn and it was this tank of a bicycle, this big, heavy, red bike. And, but it was, it was a bike and I didn't have one. So this was my first bike. And, um, well, I take it back cause I guess I had a bicycle, but I don't remember which one. Maybe I shared it with other siblings or something. I don't remember. Because I remember when I got this thing, and I swore up and down that I could ride faster than his 10-speed. I liked it better. You know you, you know how you do that when you're a kid. You're like, oh, this is better than that new bike you were getting. You know, whatever. And so we challenged each other to a race around the block, which probably would have clocked in about half a mile. And we get on the uh, – and oh, and the, the, the winner – or let me say it this way, whoever lost the race would become the servant of the other. In true Brady Bunch fashion, right? That's because we had literally seen it on the Brady Bunch is that one of them lost. I think it was the, uh, the one where they were driving the car. They had to get closest to the egg without knocking it off the cone. Anyway, uh, and so whoever lost had to do the other's chores or whatever for like a month or something. And so... We start the race, ready, set, go, and he apparently had some problem figuring out the gear shifts, and I just, I pedaled my chubby little butt all the way around that block, and I came riding in, hands held in high in victory formation. I was so happy. It was like, yeah, that's how I knew I was kind of a conservative and not a progressive, you see. And I was like, conserve the old bicycle, the old ways, you know. No, I, uh, <laughs> well, it, and then dad pulled me aside and said, uh, he's not going to be your servant for a month. It's like, well, what was all of this for? Like, well, I thought you could, you know, use a lap around the block. All right, John, welcome to the program. Hello, John. How are you? I'm good, Pete. How are you today? Hey, I'm good. What's going on? So you mentioned that bicycle shop, Sally's. Yeah, it was over on what? Higby Lane? Exactly. Oh my God, I can remember that place vividly. <laughs> Where so? Uh, so I'm guessing what uh, West Islip or Babylon or? Well, I'm originally from Brentwood. Brentwood, but, yeah. Uh, we used I to go to... down. I shouldn't say this. We used to go down to there was a uh, 
there was a, a mini mart located in a strip mall right near a police department, I want to say. Uh, it was right there on, I guess, uh, was it 321? Is that what it's going to No. Deer Park Avenue. Deer Park Avenue. And that's where we used to get our malt liquor. Oh, yeah, huh? We call, and it was owned by a very nice Dominican family uh, who had apparently no sense of the law or the ability to determine somebody's age. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and so we would get our malt liquor from them. Very nice Dominican family. Yeah, I remember buying bikes from Sally Cycles. And then uh, in my misspent youth, we used to bring our streetcars there and we'd line up and go over to Deer Park Avenue. Oh, and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, yeah, because. Uh, up the road. Yeah, Deer Park Avenue was, that was the place for the racing, for the drag yep, racing. Yep, yep. Uh, because it was this huge stretch of uh, no stoplights. And in, yep. on Long Island, that's saying something, finding a long stretch without stoplights. That's not a parkway. And uh, you would get on this uh, this road. And then there would be, like, eventually you would get to the stoplights, and that would be where you would, right? You would start there or end at the stoplights, right? Yeah, yeah. And so that was, yeah, a lot of people got killed on that road. Um, and I will say this. The best Deer Park Avenue, some, we, we, we would call it the Ave, the best... Uh, scene from the Ave ever pickup truck with guys in the back lifting weights with their shirts off. <laughs> the most <laughs> right. Well, that's what Deer Park was known for, <laughs> <That's> right? Polo <right. laughs> <laughs> Exactly right. I was going to say they they had very they had very they were very bronzed and they had very thick black hair uh, and they were in the back lifting weights. Driving down the Deer Park Avenue. There you go. John, good to talk with you. I appreciate the call. Yeah, Sally's Bike Shop. It was like the only place you could get bicycles back in the day. Not to be confused with Mustang Sally's. I don't know if it's any relation, but that was the Irish pub. I think I got thrown out of there once. I don't remember. Well, that is usually how that happens. All right, news is next.